0: But I think there's been this fear that exercise is somehow gonna be dangerous. Uh, and it's quite the contrary. After that first day, when they say you have cancer, there's a new person born. You know, There's this thing called new normal. I, th- I think they don't really maybe understand how much it's going to help them. Each patient and each survivor is gonna be experiencing different side effects, different experiences. The positive is that it's, it's never too late.
1: Welcome to The Reach Podcast, where you'll hear from researchers, doctors, and patients themselves on how exercise, nutrition, and lifestyle behaviors can reduce cancer risk and improve survivorship. I'm your host, Kieran Fairman. Hey, welcome back to another episode of The Reach Podcast. Today, I'm chatting to Keith Train borowski about the Twitter conference. If you have been living under a rock for the last couple of weeks. Uh, you'll have missed our announcement of, of the conference dates and uh, the website and all the, the Twitter handle and all that type of stuff. Um, this is something I'm really, really excited about. Um, Keith came to myself and Sarah Weller well over a year now with this idea. And it's been a lot of work to put together, um, the program, how we're going to structure it and, and all that type of stuff. And I think it's, it's going to be... It's going to be really big. It's going to have a huge impact in connecting researchers from all over the world with practitioners, with clinicians and getting the right people together to have these conversations about our field. And hopefully this is going to be the first of, of very many. So in this show, we chat about the dates, um, the specific details about the conference in regards to abstract submission, what people can do to submit their work, um, important dates along that line, the conference date itself and then how you can participate if you're not submitting an abstract. If you wanna just follow along with the the hashtag we're gonna have, or even just kinda check in on the day. And then we also talk about, for people who aren't on Twitter, we give you some clear instructions about how to jump on there, how to follow along. And um, if you're interested in this world, in the exercise oncology space, now is a great time to jump on it because if you follow the ExxonTC Twitter handle, almost anyone, who's anyone in the field of cancer research is following that or associated with that so you can go to that account and check out everyone who's there and kind of get connected with that way and start to feel your way through it and i'd recommend if you're not on it obviously getting on it but doing it sooner rather than later so by the time the conference comes around you're kind of up to speed with how everything works and and how you can check in with us at the conference but enough of me i'll let keith take over and chat chat about the details Um, enjoy the show and we'll talk to you soon Alright, let's actually start talking about some stuff, so <laughs> I do, I really appreciate you being on the show buddy, um, you've had a really cool and interesting road to where you're at right now at Lawrence College um, and obviously the premise or the the main reason for us chatting is the Excise Oncology Twitter conference which is blown up at the minute and is going to be you know a big thing for years to come. But to talk about that, I think it's, it's necessary to go back and just cover a little bit on your background and, and how you got into this field and where you're at now. So uh, give us an overview of kind of who is Keith. <laughs> <laughs> sure thing. So
0: um, Keith is currently an assistant professor at Loras College um, in kinesiology and biology. Um, let's see, starting back, got my Ph.D. at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, in physical activity epidemiology. From there, uh, my dissertation work was in cancer survivorship. From there, I did a postdoc at UW Madison in um, physical activity and cancer epidemiology and then did a fellowship out at uh, Mass General Hospital, Harvard Medical School in supportive oncology. And um, truthfully, I always wanted to be a college professor. Thought it was the coolest job ever um, from the time I was an undergrad. I went to my first ACSM conference when I was in my third year and, um, we you know, went with a professor, um, Dr. Dave Thomas, and we went out there. Um, I think this first one was in Baltimore, if I remember, if I recall correctly. And the very for, uh, first night we were out there, we went to dinner and I'm um, having a sandwich and a beverage. And all of a sudden, all of these scientists and researchers that were studying in class, just like walked in and had a seat at our table and we're talking. And I had this moment of where I looked at him and was listening. I said, so let me get this straight. Like you guys go to these really cool places and talk science all day and then go out in the evening and talk science all night. And he said, yeah, pretty much. And I was like, I want to do that. (laughs) So that honestly is where it started for me. Um, I want, I was always interested in, the clinical aspect of kinesiology and exercise science. I was always interested in this idea of physical activity and exercise um, as this therapeutic modality. You know, the fact that exercise can make people better, you know, or stave off disease. I thought that was the just the coolest thing. And so I originally went into cardiac rehab and clinical exercise physiology and worked in the um, I was a clinical uh, hospital and um, clinician for, About 10 years and was always planning on going back and you know getting my PhD but I had a really um, I I guess I had some really great opportunities leading into that right so I just kept going down the road and finally am I getting any younger if I'm gonna do this I should probably go do it and went back and I had always worked in like I said a clinical population but usually with um, cardiac patients and my my Advising professor at Wisconsin, Dr. Lisa Colbert, worked in cancer survivorship. And, you know, originally I went in, still thinking I was going to do some physical activity epidemiology, but do cardiac and uh, cardiac patients and cardiology. And then I started diving in literature and I could not believe how much we knew about exercise and physical activities it relates to cardiovascular disease but how this idea of exercise oncology and physical activity in cancer as a field was really as an infancy, right? And you always hear about being a graduate student, you got to find your niche, right? So I really early on, I thought, well, this is cool. Maybe I should make the switch over to cancer. And so I did. And and as soon as I started diving in that literature, I thought I was amazed by it. I loved it. So, yeah, I mean, that was, I guess the, the long, short version. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Uh, so yeah, I was at Wisconsin did, was very, had a lot of opportunities there to work right on with patients, um, tried some mouse model stuff, but working with human population was definitely what I wanted to do working with, right with people. And yeah, it was, it was great. And then when it came time after my postdoc to, to go on, um, I also, as much as I loved working with patients and the research that I was doing, I also really loved being in the classroom. I really, I thought back to when I was an undergrad and that experience I had of being an undergrad and going to a conference, you know, and having that and thinking like, holy cow, this is amazing. And, you know, people are changing the world with the research they're doing. And, you know, I want in on that to be on the other end of that, to be a professor, to maybe have a student in the lab, right, or in a classroom, I, I kind of wanted in on that, so I actually decided to go the uh, liberal arts college route, and zero regrets. You know, still doing the research that I love to do. Um, we launched our first clinical trial a uh, couple months back, which was great, and still
1: teaching, and yeah, love it. I think that was what impressed me the most at ACSM this year. Was I remember just like you being a junior in college and going to mine was in Colorado and uh my professor uh jason crandall he kind of uh said you know it's a five-day event and this that. and i was planning on being at the conference all day every day so initially we went to to a couple of uh talks on uh i knew it was kind of interesting cancer at the time went to a couple of things blown away and he was like yeah like we're just gonna skip out and go hiking and stuff and i was like this is awesome like this is insane and then Going to dinner with him and meeting all these these people that you're reading their papers and you're, you're reading their references and textbooks being like, they're really cool down to earth people. And then to have that flipped around and you bring your students, undergrad students, you know, into this Cancer SIG and being able to introduce them to everyone and anyone in our field, like that, that to me is, is really cool and um, mentorship is something that I value it's top of my list in, in what I want for myself. And, and to see what you're doing for them is really cool. And thank you. I mean, I, I, it is honestly, most days, my
0: favorite part of the gig, you know? Um, I certainly, I'm not going to lie. There are definitely parts of an R1 that I miss, right. And doing some things. Um, but to kind of quote unquote, be on the bench with them every day and working hand in hand with them and um, seeing the growth that they've had from year to year and the excitement that they have and what's next for them regarding graduate school or medical school or whatever else has has really been um, fun for me,
1: you know, for sure. So, you're sitting at Loris teaching a full teaching load, mentoring a lot of students, starting up your own lab starting a clinical trial, and then you kind of decide, I'm not working enough, I need to give myself <laughs> more stuff to do, so I'm going to start a Twitter conference. Um, so give us a little background about um, the insanity be- behind your decision, and I'm sure your wife was delighted when you came home and told her that, um, to to decide to go ahead and-, and start set up a Twitter conference. Sure. Um, if I can, again, I like to talk, so
0: apologies to everyone, but a little bit about Twitter itself first. Um, I did. I was not on social media throughout grad school at all. Not Facebook. Not Twitter. Not anything. And I went to um, Boston to my fellowship at Mass General, and there was one of the um, one of the professors, one of the you know fellows, so to speak, um, Joe Greer. He had this kind of didactic session, they call it an afternoon cafe that we went into. And he made all of us sign up for Twitter and get a Twitter account before we left the session. And I thought, this is weird and I'm never going to use this and I'm not, wow, I have so much work I could be doing, why am I here? And I I thought it was yeah, I I didn't understand. I didn't understand why he wanted me to do that. Um, And then Fast forward, when I was leaving Wisconsin and going to Loris, uh, I think part of this was I'd go to a, a conference and people would look down and see the name tag and see University of Wisconsin Madison and, and they were like, Okay, I know what you do. And and that was great, you know. And then people would look down and see Loris College and not necessarily automatically know, especially as it relates to exercise oncology, what I was doing or what we were doing. And so I had to figure out a way, and it wasn't like a branding thing, but kind of how to get the message out there. So I started using Twitter. And then I kind of stumbled into the this now really robust group of exercise oncology folks, and whether that's you know clinicians or researchers, patients, and whoever else that are on Twitter. And I have to tell you, and I'm sure you're going to ask me this later, but it's made me a better scientist. It's made me better at my job. It's the in, the amount of information to exchange that information in real time every day has been amazing and fascinating and so so yeah being active on Twitter the last couple of years was the start and um, one of my colleagues at Loris uh, neuroscientist great professor Jay Kirchek he was um, he was presenting at the Brain TC the the neuroscience Twitter conference a couple of years back and he mentioned it to me and I was, you know, just supporting your colleague. Oh, Jake, I'll go check you out. What is this again? <laughs> what are you doing? And where do I go? And how do I do this? And, you know, he told me about it and I checked in and I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. And then, um, I saw, I think for lack of a better term, an infographic or, or some slide that was looking at the metrics regarding individuals who were, Kind of seeing these tweets and seeing these presentations and the actual reach of the conference, and I was blown away, blown away. So on the side, I actually went and uh, messaged Kristen Campbell and I showed. I said, "Hey, can have you seen this? Like, have you heard of this before?" And like most of us, she had said no. And I said, "Check this out. Look at look at the reach here. Look at the way people are actually discussing in real time. You know this." this idea, this concept, this field. And I was, I just thought it was so cool. And you had said, you know, you're not busy enough. And so Kristen, of course, being Kristen writes back right away and says, you should do this. (laughs) And I responded with, ha ha ha, yeah, right. Like I don't have enough on my plate, you know, and then as we do, I'm laying in bed for the next series of nights, eyes wide open, staring at the ceiling going, man, somebody should do this. Somebody should do this and talk to a couple people about it and kept saying, like, yeah, you should do this. So finally, I was like, okay, I, I guess I should do this. And then once I decided I was going to do it, I had to go and find a couple of collaborators or co conspirators, however you want to put that, and suck <laughs> them into doing it with me. And um, yeah, I'm, I haven't been more excited about a project in a while. And that's saying something because I just launched a, you know, a <laughs> months ago, but it's, yeah, I feel like it's new and it's fresh and ex- it's exciting. And it's I think people are excited about it. As you mentioned, by the time this goes live, um, just today we announced the actual date and we um, the website went live and we're getting some really great responses um, online and on Twitter about it. And that is rewarding and refreshing and exciting.
1: And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it for sure. I think the beauty of the Twitter conference in it has taken a lot of work to to get to this point. Um, I've yes. lost almost <laughs> four laptops. <laughs> I've gone over the balcony <laughs> and designed the website. Yeah. But um, the the beauty of that is that infrastructure set, and now like the the power of of the network on Twitter means that we're getting some stellar researchers and clinicians and even patient perspectives from all over the world that don't necessarily have the opportunity the time the funding to travel across the world yeah. to go to a conference not to mention the the idea that you know if you hear someone like Katie Schmidt speak at a conference you've got to wait in a line of 20 people just to get to her and then she's busy she's got to run off the the beauty of this Twitter conference is that you get to follow along and engage in Conversations directly with these, you know, world class yeah. researchers,
0: and that's it, my man, for sure. The, this idea of um, open and inclusive science is already something that's, you know, really important to me, and I don't think there's a better model of it than perhaps the Twitter conference. Right? You you mentioned the cost of conferencing these days is high. It's it's conference registration and you know flights and hotels and and food and everything else and Uh, Listen, we need to make sure here that I'm not saying that I'm thinking Twitter conferences or online media is going to be taking the place (laughs) of these institutions and these conferences. And that's not what I'm saying at all, right? But we also know that um, you go to these conferences based on your funding and based on your ability to go. Um, Social media, on the other hand, almost theoretically anybody can have a Twitter account. And so, um, yeah people can engage with each other engage real. And we know that scientists have been moving to social media and moving to Twitter, um, and using it to, to, to um, bolster their, their scientific reach and their impact. And so collectively when those two things started coming together for me, it's like, holy cow, scientists are using this more than ever before. We have this great exercise oncology network. This is a great way to engage each other clinicians, um, patients, we talk all the time about translational research. Well, here we go, right? So the ability to reach people like this is so great. And as you said, if a patient logs out in this conference and they're participating, and, and I was listening to a researcher, discuss, they can ask a question that they may not have been able to um, at a regular um, brick and mortar conference, for lack of a better term, right? So yeah, that that idea of not only reach, but open and inclusive science, was really both cool
1: and important to me. I think one of the the bigger things for me that you mentioned was the clinicians and physicians. um, For people who who, who aren't familiar, two of the biggest conferences in cancer right now is ACSM that happens the last week of May slash first-ish week of June. And then ASCO in Chicago is almost directly after that. And so what happens is a lot of people end up deciding between the two. It's very rare for for us to go to ASCO and vice versa. And what what we're in danger of of happening is people we go to ACSM and we tell each other how beneficial exercise is. And it's it's great because we're learning about new and interesting work, but there's fifty of us who go to one room and say, Hey Keith, did you know that exercise can help cancer? And then we go to another room and you say, hey, Kieran, did you know the exercise can help cancer? Which is great for collaboration and things like that. But we're missing out on the patient involvement because not a lot of patients, survivors, and community members go to conferences. We're really missing out on the people that go to ASCO. I mean, an organization with 10,000 people, a lot of physicians and oncologists that are eager to know about this stuff, we don't have access to them. And what I've seen from the interest in the Twitter conference is people are really, really interested and excited about learning this type of stuff from the researchers who are doing it. So Alison Bethoff and her crew and, and her network of MDs who want to know more, um, that's what gives them access to this, which I think is, is a really powerful part of what we're doing. For sure.
0: I, do, I think, um, you know, first of all, for those out there that aren't familiar, ASCO is the you know, American Society of Clinical Oncology. And there are so there's there's a lot of um, clearly it's a it's a huge 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 cancer conference um, and some folks who typically have gone to ACSM have made that move to going to ASCO in order to engage clinicians and physicians and there's obviously quite a few of us who have are also um, have stayed at ACSM or try to split time to to you know as you said to, to talk to folks and it's super important um, to be at ACSM. Um, but yeah, there is, you know, how do we engage a clinical population? Because usually when you talk, like, f- for example, when I am talking to the um, providers at the two local hospitals, the local oncology clinics that I'm working with as part of my clinical trial, you know, they are absolutely, yes, exercise, great, physical activity, great, using it as, you know, for survival, great, awesome. I don't, Know what that looks like. I see 22 patients a day. I don't have time to to actually talk to them about, you know, yes, you should exercise and then you should stop smoking and you should eat right, right? But, you know, I don't have time to do that. They don't, physicians will, and again, I don't think I'm saying anything out of line or new here, but most oncologists will tell you they haven't been trained in exercise physiology or clinical exercise physiology and, and exercise programming. And so, there is a little bit of a disconnect, right? We keep doing this work and this work is important and we have a long way to go in the field and, and we're we're doing some great stuff. But how do we get that to the people? And, you know, the people that need it the most. And one such way, I mean, of course, there's dissemination of research through um, those typical channels of conferencing and presentations and publications. And again, still very important. But this does allow for um, a bit more not only translational work, but real time. If a, if a physician hears about this, an oncologist hears about this conference and is able to spend time, you know, asking questions to one of the presenters or presenting themselves and talking about what it is that they see as roadblocks or barriers within their clinic, within their practice, you know, this exchange of information is so helpful both to them and to the researcher, the exercise oncology researcher, about trying to direct, like, what is our, where does our work need to go? Where do, what do we need to do to kind of hit the ground running and get this information to the people who need it? And you know, again, nobody's suggesting for a second that this is taking the place of traditional dissemination routes of information through publications or you know, large conferences and presentations. That that real time exchange of information with patients and clinicians and researchers and whoever else wants to be involved
1: is exciting and i don't think it'd be oversold i think it goes back to your initial point where you're saying that it it makes you a better researcher twitter has twitter for me is has kind of demonstrated or or at least reinforced the idea that there's people listening to to my work and Moving forward, when I go to publish, I'm very aware of the people who are going to receive it, particularly when I put it out. So, <laughs> Ian Lahart comes to mind directly. Great researcher uh, out of uh, Wolverhampton. He yeah. is uh, excellent in in methodology and statistics, and I'm very aware of like, well, if he reads it, he's going to have these type of questions. And then I have a lot of patients sure. on Twitter, and if they read it, they're going to go well, what's the point? Like, what is the relevance to me? And then likewise for physicians. And it makes you, in my opinion, a lot more w- well-rounded when you're developing research questions to maximize your impact. And sure. do really rigorous work that, you know, is airtight. So while there's always going to be um, ways you can improve your, your research, there's no, there's no way people can come back and like, what did you do that for? and that the ability to have that community is is invaluable whereas like you said 10 years ago you don't have access to this many world-class researchers that can offer you insight i mean kate boland put out um to put out a a tweet saying i'm designing a trial here's what i want to look at who has advice like that stuff is is really cool you know
0: it's gold it's amazing i i shared that with some folks at acsm a couple years ago and the idea of, you know, it used to be, I was taught when I was in uh, getting my PhD, as people still are, rightfully so, there's this worry of, you know, getting scooped. Well, I also think the ability to engage researchers in saying like, hey, I'm doing this and I'm thinking about this and I'm, you know, asking for feedback and, and trying to, yeah, you know, there, there's this, there's usually a lag time for information. You, you get the grant. You start the trial. You end the trial. You write it up. You you send it to uh, whatever journal you're sending it to, and then it's sent out to be uh, peer reviewed. And then you get it. And then it, you know. And there's there's a little bit of a lag time. And and this has been this amazing opportunity, at least for me, to to kind of in again engage with this research community in real time and ask questions that has just. And I'm speaking for an N of one here and talking about myself, even though I'm pretty confident most people would. Um, and our network would say the same thing that it has made me a better scientist, it has made my work better, um, and and that is thrilling. And I think the other thing is um, for those listening who you know maybe think that we are just kind of name dropping a lot, um, a lot of the people whose names that we stated here, while they are Big in the exercise oncology field. The cool thing is, a lot of them I did not know at all until Twitter. And the other thing is, especially for junior researchers, students, um, postdocs, up and coming researchers, people like this, <clears throat> excuse me, to go to a conference and already feel like you know someone because you've read their work on Twitter, you've engaged with them on Twitter at least for me, now again I'm I'm a bit extroverted, but to be able to go up to an individual that was like, Hey, I know you from Twitter, we've talked, and them say, Yeah, for sure, and, and then have a conversation has also made engaging at at these brick and mortar conferences so much easier because, you know, if you didn't have that, it might be like, Oh, there's, I don't know, Jeff Lance or somebody like that and like and I might not I might not know who that is, but now I know who that is and yeah. you know I
1: go talk to him about U2 lyrics. <laughs> uh, yeah, he is. His Twitter is half stellar research and half U2 stuff. One of the reasons I um, love it so much, Jeff. But one of the one of the things that you were talking about there, in terms of the collaboration, I mean, I was. Uh, I'm very passionate about getting on twitter in terms of networking like i don't do a lot of stuff well in my life but talking to people and being passionate about what i do was one of them and i was tallying up directly as a result of twitter as you said from meeting people that i didn't know um personally or fostering relationships that already kind of existed um i tallied up i've collaborated on one grant Two separate studies at different universities in the States and five papers that are either in review right now or published directly as a result of Twitter. And it was it was fascinating. Yesterday at ECU, um, our our provost had a big talk for early career researchers and she was saying that like this is uh, she was saying the same thing. And people a lot of the times complain about funding for conferences and getting visibility. And she's like, if if you're not on Twitter, you're invisible and that's your fault. Like the 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 opportunities for collaboration as a result of that are just like you meet someone at a conference, be like, you're pretty cool. Let's do some projects together. You get the same thing in Twitter and like, I like this guy's vibe. I like this girl's vibe. Like, let's work together. That's cool.
0: Yeah, I I mean, just the ability to engage. You know, it's really crazy. And so I, of course, took with what Joe Greer said to me. Out in Boston to like my undergraduate students. It's like I understand why how a lot of you engage on social media. You know, it's not what this is, but for those of you looking out to go to graduate school and you want to do this work, this is a great way to meet people. Going into that, you know, and that that was huge. And you're, I, I think, you know, you mentioned about um, some of the work that you've done through the network. I think it was eye-opening to me when I was starting to really dive into, you know, do I want to do this Twitter conference? And you know, we have a, a in my head I was like, yeah, we got a pretty solid exercise oncology you know, Twitter network. What does that look like? And so when I was, um, writing a talk to give at the cancer interest group meeting at this year's ACSM meeting, I went and actually just took a screenshot of all of the users that identified as, again, Exercise oncology, that that kind of bubble, right? So whether you're a researcher, you're a clinician, you have interest in it, and things like that. And I was gonna, I was determined to make a slide. You may remember it, where I just put all of these little, like their, you know, their their name and their Twitter handle and, and their um, profile pic on there um, to see what I was working with. And I could, I couldn't fit it. I couldn't fit everybody in. And I put that up during the talk. And in a really awesome, (laughs) cool way, I lost everybody for about two minutes because I watched everybody in the audience start looking and pointing and like, there's me and oh, hey, I know them or hey, look at who that is. And and that's when it really hit. I was like, holy cow, we have a network here. And so to extrapolate on that, if if we have this network and we're not engaging that network. However, you know, and whatever that engagement means, right? Whether that's, hey, I'm working on a project and you do this line of work. Can you help me out? Hey, I'm interested in writing a paper. You want to write this with me? Hey, I just, you know, I had a bad day because academia can do that to you, you know? Um, the the ability to has been... Man, I, I dare I say, I, I really do think one of the upshots of my career. Like, it, it's been great. It's it's made me a better scientist, a better researcher, um, I'm more connected. And then this past ACSM, and I, I, ACSM is always a, my favorite work week of the year, every year, without fail. And this one was better than ever somehow because I did feel like... I had my own network, plus I had this additional network from this, you know, again, this this exercise oncology Twitter network, which was just fascinating to me and, and beyond rewarding. And so, yeah, I, I do. I, I think if you're missing out on that, at some point, that's kind of on you. And it doesn't mean you have to be on Twitter. It doesn't mean you have to be engaging every day. It doesn't mean you have to be using twitter to find collaborators and co-authors and things like this you know that's not what i'm saying well although that is out there but the ability to kind of just see who's doing what and where and how and when that in itself is helping drive our field forward and at the end of the day isn't that what we're all trying to do right we're just trying to move this field forward
1: yeah and i think the one of the other important aspects of twitter that I think needs to be highlighted is you're right we're in this exercise oncology bubble and my advice to young undergrads grad students whatever it is coming up is don't get lost in that bubble if you come up and you're only trained in exercise oncology and you only look to exercise oncology research or researchers for ideas there's a chance of losing the forest for the trees because we're, you're so submersed in it. And, you know, at conferences, go visit other talks in, in r- related fields. But a lot of my ideas in exercise oncology have stemmed from sports science or strength and conditioning. And while you can, ha- we have our little network of exercise oncologists, Twitter allows you to connect with nutrition or nutritionists, registered dietitians and and researchers in sports science and and people who are in closely aligned fields that you can take a lot of really cool ideas from and bring it in to bring novel aspects to the exercise oncology world
0: well especially if you're willing to stay open-minded when those individuals challenge your work because they're coming at it from a different perspective and you see this and you know there's that moment of like hey come on this is what i do but then, you you know, sleep on it and you're like, wow, they're right. I didn't think about this. I didn't take that point of view. I didn't I didn't try this. And that's also been super helpful. It's been great because, you know, kind of like we teach our students, right? This idea of like just because it's a peer-reviewed journal doesn't mean it's the end-all be-all. Yeah. Well, the same thing happens. We're talking about some of the work that we've done. And, you know, Ian mentioned this just the other day. And it was great of... I really like getting people kind of outside the bubble who are willing to weigh in and say like, you know, I, yes, this is this is strong work and solid work. But did you think about this? And what about this? And what are we doing about this? And it makes us realize that, um, you know, it, again, we have a lot of work to do. And, and, and that's awesome and exciting as much as it is like we need to get there. Um, but, yeah, I, I really like that getting outside the bubble and getting those perspectives I think they're
1: hugely important for sure so uh, let's go back to the conference and actually talk about some of the details sure
0: well actually let me if I may let me back up and talk about some of the dates and then we'll talk about some of the specifics (laughs) so for those of you listening at home again the exercise oncology twitter conference um We've launched our website. The website, the Twitter handle, and the hashtag that it's all going to be taking place under is going to be T C. okay? So if you're listening, you want more information about the conference, what is it, how does it happen, why do you do it, when do you do it, um, how do you register, how do you, do, you know, it's all on xonct You can also follow us on Twitter at... at xonctc. There will be information there. Um, As I said, by the time this goes live, the website will be open, which is great, and we'll be tweeting from uh, the the Twitter handle, at xonctc. Abstract Submissions opens August 16th, which is a week from this date, but again, not sure when this is going to go live. Um, And it closes September 13th, and the conference itself is on October 11th. So threw a lot at you there, but again, all that stuff is online. So regarding who can participate and who can present, anybody can participate. There's two ways to do it. One way, which we hope you do, is go to the website and register as a participant. This, of course, is free of charge. Um, You simply put in some information on the website, you are registered, and then the day of the conference, you will follow the um, hashtag, and the uh, TC Twitter handle. If you would like to present, we ask that you, like any other conference, that you submit an abstract, and the abstract submission form is on the website. The cool thing about a Twitter conference, because of what this is and what this looks like, is it's pretty open regarding what you can present. Now, most conferences, we ask this brand new material, it's not necessarily the case here. So in other words, if you just put out a publication and you really want to talk about that, your abstract can be um, modified or from that paper, from that manuscript. And then you can spend your tweets talking about that paper. If you want to talk about some data that you're sitting on that, you know, isn't published just yet, but you just want to share and kind of say, hey, this is what I'm working on, so I'm doing, that." that's fine too. If you have... Some big picture global things, such as where the field is going and what we need to do, that's also welcomed. The idea here is that um, while these will be vetted, we're trying basically to put a program together. We want to hear from you. We want to see what you're working on, what you're doing. We hope that, um, again, clinicians, oncologists, researchers, maybe even patients will all consider sharing their work with us. I'd be interested in some patients sharing their story you know, how exercise has affected their journey or um, the role that it's played in their their disease trajectory or their, you know, their recovery or their survivorship. So it really this really is kind of open um, the way that it actually the formatting of this works. You know, maybe we should have started there is that there's probably a lot of people saying, "All right, you guys have been talking for a half an hour. I still don't know what the hell this is. Uh, Twitter conference is simply um, a series of tweets chained together that are going to cover some topic. So it'll be six tweets over the course of 15 minutes. That first tweet is going to be some kind of introduction. Um, again, this is usually, if you think about this from a research perspective, that first tweet is going to be kind of your true introduction and research question or problem statement, you'll then have some substantive tweets looking at methodology or results, you know, and then some kind of conclusion and takeaway um, in those fifth and sixth tweets. We love those tweets to be um, dynamic. We would like to see some illustrations, some graphics, Pictures, movies, GIFs, um, tables and figures from papers are great. We want to see something pop there for sure, but at the end of the day, the idea is that those six tweets will translate everything that you, uh, just in text alone, that you would like to say to to those viewing. It should be done just like a regular conference. Um, When... You do a regular, con- you know, when you go to a regular conference again, the presenter will come up and have some kind of uh, introduction, talking about their topic. We'll tell you the background, tell you what they're doing, why they're doing it, how they're doing it, what they found, and what it all means. And the same thing should happen here. Now, again, I'm a researcher. Kieran's a researcher, so we talk about it from the the researching perspective. But this can be the same thing for again clinicians or patients who are who want to get involved. You know, you have six tweets to tell your story, to tell us what you want to tell us. And so um, if you're new to Twitter, you'd be surprised. It seems like not a whole lot of characters to tell a story like this. However, you would really be surprised. So on the website, there are some um, examples there. We'll be posting more examples over the course of the next few weeks so that people can see different ideas of, of how these things look and how they go. And then um, we also will, talk, will direct you to um, two Twitter conferences where we got the idea that have been done so incredibly well, and those are the um, Real Brain Twitter Conference at BrainTC and the World Seabird Twitter Conference. They, the World Seabird Twitter Conference really is the, as far as I understand, the kind of, if not inventor, the, the
1: driver of this work, and it's really pretty amazing the reach that it's had what you were mentioning there about the patient perspective i think is massive because as you know too often there's nuances of of what we do that doesn't necessarily get captured by research in the value of exercise in terms of giving patients uh, an aspect of control over their life giving them Certain aspects of, of their quality of life that are improved that we um, don't necessarily capture with some of our surveys and questionnaires. And I think having that reinforcement from patients that have had those benefits is huge. But also there's a lot of people that experience different challenges. You know, people who have uh, an ostomy bag or, you know, people who've had uh, double mastectomies from breast cancer can talk a lot about their personal experience in how they've modified exercise to suit their lifestyle. And I think that is really valuable in in showing that it's not just us telling you what you should do. It's people who have been there and done that and experienced it that can offer really insightful uh, perspectives on this.
0: For sure. I think at ACSM this year, for those who were listening to this who were there, um, and I, I hope I'm saying her name right, I believe it's Gabe Grunewald, um, that hour where Katie, um, Schmitz basically led a discussion, a Q&A with her and um, another individual, um, a co- old colleague of Katie's and who, again, apologies, I don't have the name right in front of me, um, who was also amazing. Their stories were incredible. It was one of the highlights of my conference for sure. And I do. I, I think that, you know, we all have a job to do and we love the job that we do. And I think that, you know, we, we work real hard to do it well. And while we don't necessarily lose sight of why we do it, when we do, you know, I'm lucky and fortunate in that because of my situation, um, I, yesterday I saw three patients in the clinic, you know, I, I still see, um, patients all the time exercising who are either in the middle of treatment or just post treatment. And anecdotally speaking, you know, watching their quality of life improve. And that's, that reminder every single day is so great and important and a remind this is why I do this right but when you like anybody else you're up against a deadline or you're trying to get a manuscript out or you're trying to apply for a grant or you're trying to juggle it all you know you, you mentioned the forest for the trees old adage right you sometimes miss this so the ability to engage with patients, especially for those researchers who don't have the opportunity to do that quite as much, yeah, I, I agree. It's so important, which is why I really like the idea of having some survivors or you know patients involved in this, or at least
1: they're asking questions of our speakers if they're not presenting anything. I think what we're doing—it's—it's—it's it's, it's hard for me to be. To, it's like we're patting ourselves on the own back. What what you've done in setting up this conference, I think, is is phenomenal, and I really do. Believe that we're gonna have a massive impact on the research community and the broader cancer community and it It's only gonna build from here, you know, the excitement and and the talk around this right now being the first one like It's gonna keep growing. So I'm gonna reinforce what you were saying uh, important dates um, Abstract and registration is open August 16th. So really really soon Um, and it's going to stay open abstract submission closes on september 13th but the registration will stay open all the way up into the conference and if you can the importance of registering is for us to get an idea of who's listening who's paying attention give us metrics for upcoming conferences if you don't get around to registering by the day you can still just follow along the hashtag and participate and ask questions. Registration is not mandatory, but we do really encourage it. Um, we're going to be announcing some really, really cool keynote speakers in the coming weeks. But the full program we hope to announce by September the 27th. And then the the conference itself is on October 11th. And essentially, it's, it's going to be the guts of that day. Um, so what's cool about it is that you can live participate or after the fact, you can just chug in the uh, hashtag and all that stuff will remain up there. So that's a really, really unique aspect of this conference as well, and that you can kind of just keep going back to reference it. Um, for sure. And It's amazing too, and the cool thing, sorry, Kieran, the, the, the cool thing for me is that
0: you know, you're know you there currently in Australia, I'm here in Iowa. Sarah Sarah Weller, by the way, is also one of our collaborators here does amazing work and we're so so grateful and thankful to have her on this project is out in uh, Vancouver right Br- University of British Columbia so I wouldn't say we're quote unquote spanning the globe but it kind of is so we're gonna have multiple different hubs and time zones going and we're gonna go through the day and um, you know as you'll see when the program comes out and yeah we hope that you join us in real time. And then the ability if you say, well, I I missed what was happening in Australia or in England or in, you know, on the West Coast here in the States at that particular time, you can just go right back to the hashtag and find it later, which is really
1: exciting to me. Really exciting. Dude, I have to commend you. This is a a phenomenal project and I'm excited to be a part of it and uh, really excited to see what we can do this time around and in the coming years. Um, for people who are interested, just remind them where they can find you and the, the conference website and the conference on Twitter. Sure. Um, best way, if you haven't been listening for the last hour
0: to <laughs> find me, is probably on Twitter. Um, my Twitter <laughs> handle is at KTB underscore PhD, um, or you can actually just search my name, Keith Train Barowski. I promise there's only one of me. Um, and feel free to, by all means, feel free to reach out with any questions you have. Happy to answer them. Also, you can go to the T C, exonctc, that's E-X-O-N-C-T-C dot com. Go to that website. And we have a um, uh, frequently asked questions section, a help section of what, when, how. Plus, that's where you're going to register and submit abstracts. So go there for all um, information. And again, follow at tc on twitter as we'll continue to update that talking about the conference talking about who's going to be presenting some of the keynotes um maybe give you some some headway into some of the abstracts and some of the topics that are going to be discussed as we get closer um and get excited along with
1: us uh, that reminds me of if if there's people listening who aren't on twitter a lot of people come and say well how do i get started and what do i need to do to, to get a Twitter account, it's actually really, really easy. All you need is a, an email address. You decide your username and password. And when people when you initially get onto Twitter, it can be quite intimidating and not knowing who to follow, how to interact with people. The beauty of this is if you're interested in this area, if you follow XoncTC on Twitter, almost anyone and everyone who's on Twitter in this area is going to be affiliated with that so you can go into our followers list and just look at anyone who's everyone in the field of exercise oncology so that's a great place to start if between now and the conference you just want to get used to twitter get a feel for the conversations we're having and things like that because that's beyond, a great point. beyond the conference what i've found really valuable is a lot of people will throw out um case studies or you know challenging situations that we're, they're having and um the researchers that you may end up following all chime in and say, "Well, I would do this, or I would, I would kind of take this approach." And and that there, those conversations themselves are in real time, really valuable as well. So, I'd encourage you if you're not on there to to you know go on to it. If you have trouble, um, shoot you know me a message or Keith a message. Any of us will be happy to help you get on. Um, Absolutely. But other, other than that, uh, Keith, I can't thank you enough, mate. We're gonna have to figure out a timeline where both of us can drink at the same time. Um, you're having a nice <laughs> evening beer and I'm going off to work uh, probably not the best idea to have a beer before it uh, Probably not. really do appreciate your time mate and I'm, I'm really excited about this yeah me too I'm really glad to have you and Sarah aboard it's kind of a dream team
0: and, and like you said it's, it's the first one we're going to do the best we can see what we got and I just I look forward to seeing not only what we get this year but the potential growth of this this is this is exciting I'm, I'm really looking forward to it